now I've learned that with the, when the connection with my horse is good and when I am soft in the saddle and not in my head and in my body, that the balance of the horse, it's okay too. So I'm at this point now. But I still like it and I teach people how to ride their horse in balance, of course. But I first start with the connection. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. And this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present and future. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. As you know, this is episode number 30 of this podcast. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey. It's an amazing ride for all of us, it seems. What I haven't told you guys yet is that this podcast has always been a part of something much larger that I've always wanted to create. It's burned inside of me for years, and I'm now, this year, finally going to release it to the world. I'm currently working with some awesome providers to lay the foundations with me, and then in the coming months, I'll be launching. So stay tuned, as I think you guys are going to love what I'm creating. My mission to make the world a better place for horses is growing, and I'm thrilled you've chosen to be with me on this awesome ride. In this episode, I speak with Corinne Vanderbor from Horsefulness Training. Corinne has, over the years, put mindfulness and horsemanship together. The thing I love about Corinne is that she has a breadth of experience in horses, and it's her choice to always put the horse first and see what fits for them. That makes her a great trainer in my eyes. For example, when I ask her about why she rides bitless, she simply says it's because the horses she rides prefer it that way. Even though she's trained in biomechanics and could probably give me scientific reasons as to why she prefers to ride bitless, she still puts a horse first. I really, really love this. Corinne has also had the chance to be anything she wanted when she was younger and her teachers and parents all tried to talk her out of working with horses. Can you believe it? Anyway, luckily for us, Corinne followed her heart and we now have access to her wisdom and online courses. Here is Corinne. Corinne, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Okay, thank you for inviting me. I'm uh, very pleased to be here. Can you tell us first which country you're coming from? Because I'm a bit excited. You're my first guest from this part of the world. Okay, I'm from uh, Belgium, so that's uh, Western Europe. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do over there? Well, I'm a horse trainer and instructor, of course, and um, I teach people how to communicate with their horse. And uh, I've developed an... um, a method you could say but it's a very dynamic method it's not with fixed rules but um, I call it horsefulness training and it's um, as you can hear it's a mixture of mindfulness and and horsemanship so actually I am teaching uh, people to be uh, aware of themselves and and how their horse reacts and um yeah and and that's what i do and i i help people with relational problems with their horse and with training problems and uh that's what i do fantastic did you grow up with horses have they always been a part of your life 
No, at my in my family, nobody is into horses. I'm the only one. Um, I was 13 when I first um, was on a horse. It was with the school. There was a, a day that we could choose all different kinds of sports. And I choose for horse riding because I was interested in it. But my parents, they didn't have a lot of money. And we were four children, so I couldn't do that. In that time, that was expensive. It was for people who had more money than my parents. So I, I, uh, I was always interested in it, but it was only that first sports day in school that I chose to do it. And that's how it started, actually. How and old were you then? I was 13. Oh, I wish my school had offered horse riding when I was 13. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was my first time, and I liked it so much that I wanted to continue. And then, luckily, there was a special, um, how can I call it, a deal you could say in the horse riding school nearby that you could ride and have horse lessons for the um, the half of the price. Great. So then my parents said, "Okay, for that money you can go one time a week." So I did that and luckily I could start working there. So after a few months, I started mucking out the stables and taking care of the horses. And then I started riding for free. So then I could ride every day. And that's how it started. In my teenager years, I rode every day because I worked for it to be able to have free lessons. And yeah, I never stopped. <laughs> wow. And what was it about that first horse riding um, day at school? What was it about that day that hooked you, that got you involved for life? Oh, I think it was, the horse was a very big um, horse, um, but very calm and uh, gentle. And it was the feeling of the first time sitting on that horse that started to move that was so, I remember, special to me. It was like such a big animal and I didn't understand much from horses then, nothing. So, And it was carrying me around. And I thought it was so special to me. Yeah, why does he do that? And, and why is he allowing me on his back? I think that was something that was so, yeah, giving me so much, um, I, I, I can't find the name, but joy and also wondering, what is this? How mm. can I learn more from that? I think that yeah. Was, yeah, that was it, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if everyone who ever sat on a horse felt that way? I it's, think they do, actually. The first time people are sitting on a horse or riding a horse, I think they have that feeling too a bit. But along the way, they start to forget about it because we then we start to getting lessons and you have to do it like this and like that and then... We get in our heads and then we, we lose the feeling of of wonder and yeah. Oh, that's uh, very true, isn't it? I think it's it's that that's what I hear also from people around me and from my students, that they forget about it. Mm. Yes. So what did you do when you finished school? Yeah, I finished school when I was eighteen. Um I wanted to work with horses and I wanted to go to the horse um, school, so to learn a profession with horses. But again, that was very expensive and my parents didn't want to pay for that. They couldn't. 
So I started working. And I remember in my last year, in the sixth grade, uh, they came from me, they, they took me out of the classroom, the, the director of the school and other teachers to talk to me. And they say, no, don't do that. You're much too smart to go working with horses. You have <laughs> to study this and that. And you are good in languages and you are good in this. You have to do that. And I say, no, no, I want to work with horses. And they say, oh, you're going to have to muck out the stables. You're not going to earn a lot of money. And you always be, um, yeah, someone's help, someone's, you know. And I said, I don't care. I want to be with the horses. I'm going to do that. So I never listened. And I did what I wanted to do. And uh, against everybody who was in my uh, environment. And yeah. So I, I started working and I worked uh, the first time. My first job was um, in a dressage stable. I only stayed there for a few months because they wanted me to start competition, a dressage competition, but I didn't like that. And um, You didn't enjoy dressage or the idea? Yeah, of yeah, yes. I enjoyed dressage a lot and I learned a lot, but I didn't want to do the competition. And uh, because um, the main rider there was a girl who left for uh, Germany because she wanted to uh, go in another stable. And he said, now you are going to be our main rider and I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. And then when that is okay, you are going to go on competition. And I didn't like the way they said that also. It was like I didn't have no choice. Mm. And and. So I stopped and after six months or so, five or six months, I don't know uh, how, how long uh, exactly, I stopped and I searched for another uh, job. And like that, I did uh, yeah, quite some jobs because I, I wanted to change a lot. And um, I was very, um, how can I say, uh, independent. And when something happened that I didn't like, I just <laughs> went somewhere else. So, uh, But it's good. Uh, it was all experiences and I like it that I did it that way. I, I don't regret it. And did you continue on with dressage at each place you went or did you try, try no. different disciplines? No, no. I, um, after my first job, I uh, went working for a lady near my uh, house um, who had uh, just horses for fun. You know, she was, uh, she had uh, four horses, I think. Yeah, four. She did also uh, carriage driving with her horse, with one of them. She jumped with one horse, and then the other one was to go on trail rides. And um, I was the, the groom. So I wasn't there to train their horse, but I had to groom. So take care of the horses, muck out the stables, and, and that kind of things. But that was only half of my day. And then the other half of the day, I went working for other people. Uh, riding their horse or taking care of their horse and I did that for a year I think and from there I went uh, to um, a stable where they had hunting horses in Belgium they don't hunt on real animals it's uh, with um, a, a piece of cloth that they put in fox urine and then they they do um, so one horse goes in front with that with that cloth they drag it over the ground and then 15 minutes later they leave, they let the dogs run after it and then the horses. So that's the hunt in Belgium. And um, so I trained those horses and I was there for, I think, one year and a half, almost two years. 
And from there, I went to a jumping stable where they uh, trained and sold uh, very good uh, jumping horses. I had to take care of their horses and uh, as a groom also. So I didn't train their horse. I did train them on the launch sometime, but I didn't ride. But I, I always continued riding horses from other people um, in the neighborhood. So I kept on riding. And then from there, I went to Portugal. In Portugal, there was a stable where they needed someone to, um, yeah, to, to run the stable and to train their horses. So that's what I did afterwards. And then I came home again to Belgium and I started on my own. And um, yeah. Was that the first time you got your own horse? Yes, I got my own horse when I came back from Portugal. So uh, that was Nikki. It's my old horse. She's almost 30 now. And um, I got her from an old friend of mine who moved to France and he took her with him, but uh, she was not happy there. So she was always in the field. And this was a horse that was used to doing a competition. Um, how do you call that kind of competition? It's like uh, jumping and dressage and, and eventing. Yeah, yeah, eventing, yeah it was yeah. an eventing horse. And um, so she was used to being in the stable and uh, not being day and night out. And in France, she was day and night out. And after a few months, she was so skinny that he wanted to yeah, to find a solution. And that's how Nikki came to me. But now she's already used to being out all the time. So it, it took a few months to uh, to, to uh, get her used to that. But now she, she likes to be outside. Wow. And that was my first horse. So, um, and after I had, uh, I had six horses in total. Still have five of them. One died. When you started your stable and your own um, business, what were you teaching? Oh, I was already teaching uh, groundwork and liberty trading, but it was a bit different uh, to what I do now because it kept um, developing, of course. But I was teaching uh, yeah, people how to work with their horse and helping traumatized horses also so that's where also my how my passion you can say really Mm. started um for for helping horses and how did you learn that is that something that you just knew from inside or is it something that you've learned along the way from different people it's something i learned i think because um already in the in my first years that I rode horses in the school so when I was a teenager there were quite some horses there that had problems and it was not a good riding school I know that now but it was a a riding school where yeah horses didn't go in the field they they were kind of aggressive towards the horses sometimes some people the teacher was really not good (laughs) he gave lessons but not on a good level and um, there I started riding also horses that were difficult to ride and nobody explained me how to do it, but I was not afraid. So that was one thing. And I had a lot of time. I had no time pressure. There was nobody telling me how to do it or, 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 or when and, you know, so I could play with that. And I think that's where I learned a lot already 
without knowing exactly what I did, but already having that experience. And then um, when I was in the, so before I went to Portugal, I started reading about it. So uh, I remember I watched television and there was um, a documentary about uh, Monty Roberts. And that's my first book that I read. And at that time, I thought that was amazing. I liked it and I tried it. And I also noticed that sometimes it was not so um, positive and sometimes it was. So depending on the horse and depending on how I did that, but um, so that's what's how it started. And I started reading more and more books about different methods and, and working with more and more horses because when I was in Portugal also, there were 17 horses and we were two trainers and half of the horses were also not so easy horses. And um, so I could also, I, I also had the freedom there to do what I wanted. And then when I came back to Belgium, when I started independently, I already had some experience, but it was when I started for my own that I got to really difficult horses. And then it was searching, often making mistakes, of course, and seeing, oh, that it's not something that I have to repeat. And like that, it grew. And um, I'm now 41. And uh, I think it's only the last 10 years that I'm really, really um, confident, 100% when I am with a horse. Before that, I was always searching and sometimes doubting and, you know, so it has really been a process for me and I'm still learning. Wonderful. And you'd been with them since you were 18. Yes. That's extraordinary. And what is it about traumatized horses that you enjoy working with? Well, what I enjoy every time again is that actually it's very simple to uh, work with them. Um, often when I work with a traumatized horse, the, the owners, they tell me, oh, it's so difficult. We had so many trainers without um, uh, good results or with results, but afterwards it's, it's going bad again. Um, and we don't know what to do. And it's so much stress and it's so much frustration. But then when you start working with the horse, actually it's always so simple. And that is what is every time again for me so amazing that it's so simple. But I don't say it's easy, but it's simple. And, and that is so, yeah, that's what I like so much about it. And those traumatized horses, they, are, they still are open to, to us. That is, that is so beautiful about it. It is amazing, yes. isn't it? And how fast they can change yes. with a different type that is, of training. That is so. And how, yeah, and how kind they are to the mistakes that you make. They'll still respond. Even though you do something, yeah. you make a mistake. If you do something that right the next time, they'll respond in a yes, positive way. True. I love that about them. They don't mm -hmm, hold a grudge. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how do you simplify training with a traumatized horse? For me, it's um, the most important thing is to really be present. So um, that is one thing. And it's not always easy to be present. You really have to practice for it. Or I had to practice for it because from nature, I was kind of, you know, in my head. 
I don't know if, if it's from nature, but I, I grew up like that. And I find myself as a grown up really into my head. So I had to learn again to go out of my head into my body. And horses really helped me with that. So that is the first thing. And then I, I start in liberty. And that's so easy and simple. So I simplify by just, yeah, taking it slow and, and uh, start with the right uh, steps. And for me, that's the first three connection exercises that I always teach. It's bonding time and then greet and go and then greet and groom. And from there on, I continue. And that's a really simple, yet effective way of um, working with horses for me. And how did you learn how to come into your body and out of your mind? You say the horses taught yes. you that. Is that something just from so much time with horses or did you have a mentor to tell you that's what you needed yeah, to so do? Yeah, so I was uh, about 20 or something, 21, when I started meditation and I had different uh, teachers to, to teach me this. And... Um, by doing this, I started thinking this must be something I, I, I have to try with my horses too. So I started meditating when I was with my horses. And when I was training a horse, sometimes I took a minute to meditate or to just go to my breath. And I could notice that that gave a lot of changes in my horses. And um, so they taught me. After a while, I could see when they were too nervous or it was difficult to train them or, or uh, they were becoming frustrated or whatever, I could notice, oh, maybe it's me. Maybe I have to, you know, go into my body again. Maybe I'm too much in my head. And lots of the time that was the case. So that's how they, they, they teach me. And still, because, you know, I'm not always uh, present. Nobody can be present all the time. So, no, it's the human condition. Yes, yes. And so um, th they still teach me this. So it's very interesting. And it's something um, that, um, yeah, you can take with you in your daily life. So training horses for me is not only about the horse. It's also about me and my life. It's a way of uh, living. What do your parents say now that you're still doing horses all these years yes. later? My parents both died. So my father died in July, no, in June this year. He was, he was, uh, he died from cancer, but he was already the Alzheimer's. Yes. Is that the correct word? Yeah. So he yeah, didn't yeah. talk to me about that a lot anymore. And my mother, she died when I was 27, but she was very proud. She was the one, and my father too, who told me, no, don't go into the horses. You will not, and this is not a good future. But then when she saw that I was, yeah, capable of doing it, and then I, and then I was not only mucking stables, but also teaching people and working with horses and earning money with it and being also very happy in the horses, she was very proud, so... That's wonderful. Did she get to see you ride much? Not so much, but yeah, she did sometimes. Yes, yes. She must have loved watching you. Yeah, yeah, she loved it. She was very proud. I could, I could tell that. And my father also. But yeah, latest years, he, he didn't understand much what I was doing. <laughs> and you also studied equine biomechanics. Yes. Well, um, I started with that when I was in Portugal to really study it. So that's when I was about 24, 
four, I think. Um, but before, I remember I uh, was riding a horse in the riding school also, and this was a horse that was not able to counter uh, to the left. And um, so it was a school horse. Everybody was riding her. Nobody could do it. And then I remembered I, one day I was riding her. Her name was Muget. And um, I didn't know how I did it, but suddenly she was countering to the left. And I remember the teach. Yes. And I remember the teaching saying, oh, look at Karin. She's countering with me. Get to the left. Wow. That's amazing. And I was sitting there. Oh, how, how did I do that? <laughs> and um, so the weeks that followed, I tried again and again and again. And, and uh, it maybe worked like two or three times again in the first weeks. And then the more and more and more it, it, it was working. So, and I still remember a bit then because I started thinking about it, how I did it. So I put my, my, my weights a little bit different and I, I used my legs because those were all things that the teacher didn't uh, teach us. So I had to find out myself. And um, that's where my interest came for biomechanics, actually. So I started reading about it then in dressage books in the library and, and uh, books that I bought. But I was never able to practice it so i had a lot of uh, theoretical knowledge after a while but not being able to um to uh yeah to to, to practice it mm. but then when i started riding in um in portugal i had those horses and i was i could do it there and i could practice and then i also met a girl there who did work in hand and she taught me how to work in hand with the horse so when i came back to belgium I started practicing this and um, yeah, I kept studying about it and that's how it uh, really um, yeah, developed. Yes. And what did you learn? How did learning biomechanics change you as a horse rider and trainer? Well, at first I have to say it changed me in a bad way. <laughs> mm. um, yes, it was very technical for me in the beginning, and um, I lost uh, my feel a bit for horses. So yeah, for riding, it takes horses, you back into your head when you're reading so much of it. Yes, and I was much into the really uh, how can I say the details and <laughs> too much. Yeah, and um, I came to a point that I didn't like riding anymore. I um. I started, um, you know, I, I can't find the word, but I started um, saying, no, I'm not going to ride. I'm going to do groundwork instead again. And, you know, so I, I had a year or two or three maybe that I almost didn't ride anymore. But then I um, started, yeah, having the feeling again that I wanted to, to ride again and wanted to go out on a trail. And I started uh, trail riding. And fun came back. And now I'm at a point that uh, biomechanics is not my uh, priority uh, when I ride my horse. The connection is my priority. and um, But it comes with it, of course. And now I've learned that with the, when the connection with my horse is good and when I am soft in the saddle and not in my head and in my body, that the balance of the horse, it's okay too. So... I'm at this point now, but I still like it. And I teach people how to ride their horse and balance, of course, 
but I first start with the connection. Yeah, it's the most important yeah. thing. Then the horse can hear yes. you. If you don't yes. have a connection, the horse can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Why did you go to bitless riding? What is it about bitless that you yes. enjoyed or what is your choice there? Yeah. Well, um, my interest in bitless riding came when I had um, my horse Lila. It's actually a pony who was a big pony. I can ride her easily. And um, she was always having so much trouble with the bit. Um, so she was chewing on it and trying to push it out of her mouth with her tongue. And I tried different kind of bits and it was really yeah, difficult. I couldn't find a proper bit for her. So I decided let's try without a bit. And it was really good. Uh, she was uh, more relaxed. She was um, more motivated also. She liked it. So you could really tell she liked it. So I started... Um, experimenting with my other horses and also the horses that I trained and with some horses it was more difficult with others it was more easy but I have to say with 80% of the horses the results were better and with the other 20% that it was more difficult I found out that if I trained them on the ground in hand first that also the bitless riding was better than um, than with the bit and how do you mean better can you explain that for me well, better was especially that they were more relaxed, so that they um, had soft muscles, better movements, and um, yeah, it was much nicer to ride them. That was my um, experience with the horses uh, then. And like I say, of course, there were horses that it was more difficult, but then I said, okay, let's train them on the ground first. So things that I've learned uh, during the years uh, of working hands. And then it was okay too. So for me, then I decided, okay, let's go bitless because, yeah, I, I just, I, I liked it. And then, and I saw the horses liking it too. So that's the main reason for me. I, I listened to the horse. So um, I, I'm not against people riding with a bit if their horse is, is happy with it. So, but for me, I have the impression that the horses I train are more happy without uh, a bit. So that's why I do it. Wonderful. And you work a lot with positive reinforcement. Is that something you've always done or is that something that developed over the time? Yes, also. it's. Um, I remember in the beginning when I was with horses, I used more pressure. So I learned to not do that and to be more um, soft with my aids. And now... I still use driving aids and some people would call that pressure. You know, if I want my horse to go forward, I will use my arm and I will drive the horse forward. Mm -hmm. And maybe I will use my whip and tap on the ground behind the horse to ask the horse to move forward. And people would call that. Some people say it's negative reinforcement and it's not polite and it's not good for the horse. But for me, driving aids is not pressure. It's uh, communication. So as long as it's, is communication and you're not scaring the horse and the horse is not tensed by it, then it's communication and then I can use it. Ah, so you're so, able to listen to the horse's body and if they're moving off in a relaxed and and still connected to your way, it's not seen. Yes. Yeah, got it. Yes, yes, that's how you, you have to go with that. And 
I also use positive reinforcement with treats or, or stroking. Uh, so I combine the two and they're, they're equally good. Yeah. So, Can you give me an example of a traumatized horse that you've worked with and how they were when you first started and how they were when you were working with them and how they are now? Um, yeah, I have to think because there are quite some. Yeah. Um, well, I think about, um, Cinderella, maybe. Cinderella was an Arabian mare and she came to me because nobody could, um, approach her. So they could approach her. They were <laughs> to bring her to me. They had, uh, I think, like two or three hours in the field with food and trying to lure her and then in, into the box and then they put the halter on her and, they could bring her to me and she arrived here as a very extremely sensitive horse. We let her loose in the paddock and in the big paddock and um, yeah, you couldn't approach her. She was really shivering and um, very much afraid. But as I already said, it was so simple to, to work with her because after the third day, um, of bonding time, she she was already like coming a bit closer and and wanting to check me out because she felt and she knew that okay she she's not wanting something from me and um, I don't know what happened to her before. Also, the owners didn't know um, and um, yeah, it was simple because after the third day she was getting curious, and then after one week I could touch her. And then from that moment on, it, it was just amazing how well she was and how much trust she could put into a human when the human was calm and soft and listening to her. Mm, and how long did you spend with her each day for that week? How long is your bonding session? Yes. Uh, when I have a horse like that, I don't work uh, with one session a day. She's with me at my place and, or he is with me at my place and I go like 10, 12 times a day. So it's really important when you have a shy horse or an anxious horse that you don't do just one time a day. Um, it's better than nothing, of course, if you can only do it one time a day, but they really have to see you uh, a lot of the time. Uh, also just passing by going into their paddock, ignoring the horse, bringing them food, go away again, uh, mucking out their, their paddock or their field, and then just sitting there, staying there. Don't expect them to come. That's a really important one because they feel the energy of these expectations. That is also pressure for the horse. Mm. They read us like a book. They can feel the energy and they will uh, ha need more time if they feel that. So, um, like with Cinderella, I went with her like 10, 12 times a day, sitting there only five minutes, then go away again. And they start to get curious. They have something like, why is she always coming to me and then going away again? And they really start wondering, what is this with this person? I'm not used to this. I'm used to having a person coming into my space, trying to catch me, putting a lot of pressure on me, scaring me. Uh, and this person is totally different. So you really have to make them curious. That, that is an important one. So that's how I did it with her. And uh, she stayed for one month. And after uh, two or three weeks, uh, yeah, it was perfect. And then I don't do 10 or 12 times anymore. But in the beginning, to get them curious, I do. 
that is very important if you also have a horse like that for the people who are listening just make them curious and horse is very curious from nature you can see it in the fall they want to they, they want to observe they want to play they want to check out and that's what you need to trigger in a horse that is afraid their their nature natural curiosity and do you find any of the trauma comes back once a curiosity is peaked and you've been able to form that bond and connection with the horse? Do you see any of the trauma coming out later? Yes, that is possible. So sometimes a horse is triggered by something. It is then something that reminds them about the past. It is not something that they think about. Because if a horse thinks about it, then normally you can see something changing in the horse and you can react on it and help them and uh, help them relax. But if a horse gets triggered by something and they re react in a reflex, um, an unconscious thing is playing there, then suddenly something can happen. So you always have to be very um, be careful. Uh, but after a while, when it's a horse like that and there's something really important that's triggering them, you will start to. Uh, notice what that is you will start to recognize this pattern and then you can work uh, with that so um i i worked with a horse for example who was very much afraid to go into narrow um, entrances so it was already two or three years this horse didn't went into a stable in a box it was always outside it was raining very cold windy he didn't want to come inside um, he also didn't want to go out of his field because this entrance was also only like two meters or something. So that's kind of large, but for this horse, it was too narrow. And th those owners asked me to work with that, with that horse. And pretty fast, we could see what was triggering him. And it was the pressure to put him in was triggering him to have these very strong emotions and a fear. because. I never pressured the horse to go in, but when I was showing him the entrance and somebody came from behind, he would really freak out. So he was thinking, okay, now somebody is going to hit me mm. because that was, that was how they tried to train him, previous trainers, to go through an entrance, to go in a box or through the gates or, or, or something. So that was triggering him and that was also part of a trauma he had. So, um, but we could work with that. So then we know what triggered him. And then first we helped him by being sure nobody was behind him and that I was also not driving him into the gate, but that I was just listening to him. And when he said, no, I don't want to come closer. I was just going away from the gate again. So we were lis really listening to him. And after a while, he, he really got the idea that he was not supposed to go through the gate he, 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 it was just me showing him the gate. And from that moment, he started trying. And then when that goes well or went well, then we started working with somebody who followed him. So we did easy herding. We did the connection exercises with this horse, like I do with almost every horse, if it's possible with the people at home. So then I do that. And then we started easy herding. So without a gate or a, a small entrance, we started to teach the horse that we could follow him and he could take the lead. Mm. So then somebody coming up behind him was totally different for him. It was not that, that pressure anymore. Was he was empowering. thinking, okay, yes, somebody who's 
walking behind me is somebody who's just walking behind me and I can take the lead even. I can be the one who, who leads the human. So that was really empowering for him, like you say. And then we started doing the same, but with small entrances. So we built um, first very easy two poles on the ground. That's a small entrance, but really easy, just on the ground. And then we did easy herding from that position. So with the, with the poles and then a bit higher with jumping obstacles. And like that, we worked from there. And now it's, it's no problem. He, he goes everywhere. <laughs> in small entrances, in the trailer, in the box. But it took a while. And it's not a quick fix what I do with horses. It's uh, really listening to the horse, and it's the horse who says how fast you can go or how slow you have to go. And But that is so so much fun. I don't think you need to have a timer on when you work with horses. Yeah. It's better, yeah. And the thing I hear there as well is if – what you're thinking about and your intention the whole time is to get him through the gate and into the stall or into the box, Yeah. then it's never going mm -hmm. to work. But when your intention no. changes, so you don't have to go anywhere near the box, but hey, look at this gate. Yes. It, it mm -hmm. allows him to, to refocus. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it was, it was uh, very beautiful to see the first time he went through the gate. You could see him like, deciding am I going to do it now or not and then he jumped the first time so he like fast you know and then he turned around and was looking and then you and he was snorting and you could see this was something he he has um overcome himself it was his decision it was nobody who told him to do it he decided it himself and you could see he was like kind of proud on himself even if it gave him some tension the act of going through it and then from that moment he tried and tried and tried and and he, he started enjoying it it was kind of a game to him it was really fun working with that horse oh it's so beautiful and where is he now he's still at um where the yeah with his owners he's still there so it's uh yeah it's good and no more trauma no no more trauma ah oh, that's wonderful yeah and what about your horses? Do you what do you do with your own horses? So I know you help a lot of other people. What's your pleasure yes. with your guys? Oh, it's it's the same as what I teach. I, I I do a lot of liberty. I do some groundwork. At the moment, I'm not riding so much because I have a baby. She's already 19 months, but I am. Um, she's full time with me and my my husband. So when I'm working, my husband is taking care of her. When my husband is working at home. I'm taking care of her or my, uh, my um, mother-in-law comes here sometimes. So it's kind of full for me at the moment with the taking care of full-time for the baby and then full-time horses. So the riding is a bit low and not too much, but I enjoy just being with my horses at the moment and um, yeah, little short training sessions and uh, my online uh, Activities with the uh, with the programs, of course. That's what I do at the moment, mostly with the horses. Wonderful, and that led me perfectly into my next question. Tell me a bit more about your online courses. Yes, well, I have two online courses. One is about liberty training, and the other one is groundwork, so horsefulness groundwork. And um, I really like it so much because 
it's online, but still there's so much interaction and people tell me about their experiences and I can help them. And yeah, I didn't think it would be so fun because normally I don't like computer work. So I, I can be very tense when I'm a long time behind the computer. Um, I'm more a nature person, somebody who likes to go outside and with the horses. But people started asking me about DVDs or a book or, you know, they wanted something to, to have at home, uh, to be able to learn from home also when they couldn't come with me for lessons, for, for live lessons. So then I, um, yeah, I was in, uh, at that time when they started asking me about it, I was in, I was a student of an online yoga uh, program because I'm, I'm doing yoga also. And um, I thought, why not do try that? And I saw there were other horse trainers as well having online programs. And I say, well, isn't that much easier than just a DVD? Because with a DVD, okay, you can watch a DVD, but that's all. And with an online program, you can really interact. You can um, ask yeah, questions. new videos. Yeah, yeah it's, it's totally different. So that's why I did it. And, um, and then I noticed it's fun. It's, it's really fun to do it. It's, um, it's a great way to connect with people from all over the world, people who don't have the ability to come to Belgium, but who like to learn more from me and, and about horseness training. And um, that's why I developed, um, yeah, also the second program, the groundwork program. Because people who come from Liberty, then they want to proceed and they ask, okay, Karim, how can I? go to groundwork with the same philosophy as I learned from you in Liberty. And then that's how the groundwork program was um, yeah, born, you could say, but I'm still working on it. It still has to, not all the courses in the groundwork program are finished yet, but I'm working on it. And you have a blog on your website as well. So yes, people can keep up to date with you there. Yes, but he's, uh, <laughs> I have to, he's also a bit, um, with the baby born, I have to start over blogging a bit more now, but I'm uh, I'm about to start again. And I did some podcasts the last month. Yes, there's um, three podcasts up there. And because people now are listening to a podcast, it's very easy for them just to yeah. type it into their search bar. Okay. And it's called and, and Horsefulness Training, your podcast? Yes, yes. Horsefulness Horsefulness Training Podcast. And I'll pop the link to everything in the show notes so people can just click and listen to it next. Okay, that's good. Thank you. (laughs) And um, yeah, blogging is, I like blogging as long as it is not every day I have to write and write and write on the computer because computer, yeah, makes me nervous a bit. (laughs) Wonderful. There's some good resources in there as well. Yes, some good information. Yeah, I try to I I try to give valuable information for people who are yeah wanting to learn more. And I I am perfectly aware of the fact that people don't always have the time to follow lessons or have the money to to invest in in something. So that's also how you can learn by reading and trying things out at home. And then yeah. If you would have problems, of course, it's better to ask a, profession, a professional. But, um, yeah, you can learn a lot from reading and watching other people. Yeah, and once you get those principles and things down, you can learn a lot from your horse as well sometimes. Yes, about, that's it. Yeah, teaching people how to 
become present and really communicate with their horse and so many problems can be solved. Not that you wouldn't go to a professional, but it helps a lot mm-hmm. in yeah, yeah, yeah. horsemanship mm-hmm. to do those things. Mm-hmm. And do you, I know you have a 19-month-old at the moment, but um, is it something, do you usually travel when you have some time and do workshops around the place or is it just online that we can find you now? No, I um, normally I give clinics abroad. Um, but yeah, since um, I was pregnant, I didn't do that. Well, I did my last one when I was four months pregnant. But then I got um, yeah problems with the legs from the pregnancy and I wasn't allowed to fly anymore with the plane with the airplane so i um i stopped the clinics where i had to go on a plane and um but i'm i'm planning to start again in uh, 2019 so then i will uh, have more um yeah clinics it's, it's more easy for me to bring my daughter with me or to you know to travel with the family because when i go abroad i always try to bring the family when they are on holidays yes it's a wonderful thing to be able to do yes yes what a childhood they have traveling the world and working with horses well the world i wasn't in america yet (laughs) so plenty of time you're still young yeah we have yeah well people ask me sometimes but well, my daughter from 10, she had um, a home, um, how do you call it? Home education for a while. Yes. So then it was easy to travel with her, but then she went back to school. And then, um, yeah, it's you have to really check out the holidays for your children then. Yes. To be able to bring them. And sometimes I go alone before my uh, baby was born. I went alone also. But now with the baby, I don't like to... Um, leave her for long because um, it's my opinion that babies should stay with the mother for as long as they they need that still and she needs that still so yeah she's still tiny yeah yeah, yeah. yes i completely agree and especially while you're still breastfeeding you can't leave yeah yeah can't leave Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of time there's plenty yeah yeah, yeah. we can wait (laughs) and there's lots of american listeners as well so if there's enough people with interest that can get a group yes. together for next year. I'm sure they can get in contact with you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, sure. Get you over there. Mm-hmm. Well, Corinne, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It's been such a pleasure mm-hmm. speaking with you. And I love okay. everything that you've got to say about horses. And I mm-hmm. highly recommend everyone, you can download ebooks from Corinne's website. Can you tell me the name of your website, please? It's horsefulnesstraining.com and horsefulness is with one L and two S's. Fantastic. Dot com. Yes. And I'll have the link in the show notes and on the blog as well. But thank you again for your time today, but also thank you so much for what you do for horses. It's so important that people like you are broadcast and that we all know, everyone around the world knows that there are trainers everywhere around the world who does this kind of work and it's fantastic Mm -hmm. what you do. So thanks from me and thanks from all the horses that have ever worked with you as well. Okay, and thank you for bringing uh, yes these, these these trainers in the world because yeah like that we can learn from each other also and and get to know new new trainers because I still have to listen to some of your podcasts but I will 
Yeah. They're very interesting. There's yeah. a lot of depth there. There's a lot of depth yes. and there's a lot of knowledge. And um, I mm-hmm. love this podcast. It's very self-indulgent. Mm-hmm. I get a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay. Thanks again, Corinne. Yes. Bye. To connect with Corinne, you can follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website to see the links and also photos of Corinne and her horses. My website is comealongfortheride.com.au I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd also love it, really love it, if you get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, if there's something you'd like me to research more and really speak about at length or even just in a short way, let me know. I'd love, love, love to serve you guys more. Anyway, thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.